If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with the top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. This week, meet Toby Sun, co-founder and head of new initiatives at Lime, the company committed to a simple, accessible micro-mobility for all. After a career in consumer marketing, venture capital, and consulting, Toby launched Lime Bike in 2017, launching dockless bikes in cities across the country. Since then, Lime has enabled over 100 million rides across five continents and has prevented an estimated 25 million miles of car travel. Toby has also raised $777 million in funding today, and Lime long ago achieved the unicorn status. Most importantly, I love the name Toby, as it is my daughter's name. So welcome, Toby. I'm thrilled to have you. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So first things first, let's just dive right in. What's Lime in your own words to anybody who maybe hasn't heard of Lime, which is silly because, of course, Lime's everywhere. Yeah. Lime is a micro-mobility company that's revolutionizing the uh, first and last mile uh, transportation for people around the world to provide accessible, available, and affordable rides for people to move that final short distance. And uh, Lime has been um, you know, operating in over 30 countries, all five continents, and then over 120 markets. Uh, we have served uh, you know, over 10 million users, and uh, uh, that number is still growing. So super excited to uh, have a global footprint so far. Wow. Um, let's just start from the basics. Where did you come up with the idea? Yeah, totally. So I think it's partially from my, you know, professional experience and also, you know, largely from my personal experience. I'll start from the latter. Um, I actually, I was born and raised in China in a city called Shenzhen. You know how many cities in the world that has over 10 million population? 47. And wow. then guess how many in, in the U.S.? Only two. So for the mega area, New York and then L.A. Wow. Um, and the city that I live in has about 20 million people. So it's very congested. It's very polluted in terms of the uh, air quality. And I was able to, you know, not own a car for the first 25 years of my life. So I was able to walk around, use public transit, ride my bike everywhere. And when I came to the U.S. for my MBA, all of a sudden found out it's not the case here. The cities here are built around cars, right? So a very, very car-centric environment. And if you look at the uh, global landscape now, right? So it's getting more and more urbanized. You know, by 2050, 5 billion people will be living in the urban area, which means 70% of the population will be there, right? So we're not going to build more cars, build more roads just for cars, right? So how do we accommodate so many people? I think there's going to be something that's, you know, more suitable 
for people who live in the urban environment to do that. And kind of taking all the lessons learned from China and then the kind of a biculture that I see from Europe, you know, I think there is something that we can do here with the darkless model in the U.S. That's how I get started. From professional perspective, I also was at VC before, right? So mobility, transportation has, uh, has been a big part of my passion. So I look into autonomous driving, ride sharing, bike sharing. So kind of uh, combining that knowledge and then also the insight about the U.S. market and then the global market in terms of the need for the first and last mile give me the chance to come up uh, with this idea. I love it. So walk us through the early days. You're launching Lime. Just give us the early details. Where were you? How did it get stood up? We want to hear it in your own words. Totally. Yeah, I think similar to your own experience, right? So when I first started, I had zero experience really starting an internet or technology company. And that was tough at the beginning, right? So back to the days, I still have my full-time job as a VC doing all of this research. And I also have a passion about solving that short-distance commute problem that I have, my family have. I sometimes run late to meetings. Sometimes I feel like, gosh, if I have a bike or something, that's just that I can use my phone to find out and then use it, right? So to unlock, that would be uh, amazing. So um, that's kind of the initial idea. And then when we first started, it was also very hard to open the first market because the initial philosophy and then strategy we have is to work with the city because we envision this product and service will be an integrated part of the city's transportation. And so you want to make sure you're working with the city. You want it to be part of the city's plan. Exactly. Part of their urban planning and then uh, not to disrupt the city, but be the friend of them, right? So I think, um, you know, that's been a big part of the initial strategy. And it sets a very solid foundation for us to build a reputation of city friendly and uh, be the partner with, uh, with the city to serve the community together with the city, right? So that's kind of the starting point. And then also product formation, right? So when we first get started, it was Spike because that's something that everybody knows about, everybody knows how to use, right? So we use that as the initial product to help us to open up the dialogue because that's also the product that the city knows the most about, right? So, and then we gradually add more product. So that's kind of the early strategy for us. So let's just quickly talk through the docklessness of Lime. And just for everybody out there that's listening, can you just walk everybody through why that was such a competitive edge, how that made rapid expansion better, and also just explain what it means to be dockless so that people can understand. Yeah, dockless literally is a system without the docking infrastructure, right? So uh, you live in New York, you're very familiar with City Bike, and you know the pain point, right? So it's, it's a great program. However, it's inconvenient, right? You need to find a docking station near your destination. What if there is no docking station? What if the docking station is full, right? So uh, when you need to park it, what if when you walk to a docking station and then there's nothing out there, right? So we think the infrastructure itself should be removed to lower the entry barrier for people to adopt more quickly. So dockless concept does help us to kind of welcome and then encourage more people to use that freely and then enable people to find, locate a bike or a scooter through their mobile app, right? It's just like, you know, finding a coffee shop through Yelp. So that all of a sudden, you know, make all of our supply available for people by just opening the app. And also because it does not rely on the infrastructure, so we can 
flexibly design and then deploy the uh, supply at the, at the locations that people need. Since everyone around the country is listening to this, can you walk everybody through it, how it works? So how Lime works, how you actually pick up um, a, a dockless scooter, et cetera, and just uh, how the mobile app interfaces. And then we want to talk about rapid expansion and, and how you thought about that. Yeah, totally. So how Lime works is that we operate um, a number of fleets in any markets that does not require docking station. And uh, it has GPS embedded, it has 4G network, and uh, it locked to itself, right? So the way it works is you download the Lime app, you find the nearest uh, scooter or bike, and then you walk up to it, it gives you the, the direction, and then you just uh, unlock the bike or scooter within the app. And then you're off the road, right? So you can ride to anywhere and then just park it at any legally parking location and you don't need to find a docking station. And then you just lock it, right? So and then you can you can go. So and then the next rider is going to pick it up. Okay. So it seems really obvious if you think about compared to city bikes where you need docking stations, yep. there's infrastructure you have to yep. lay down, et cetera. For you, you literally could just go to a new city, yep. drop 10,000 scooters, walk out, the app already works, and boom, you've now taken over a city. So talk through some of the, I want to hear both the pros and cons of your plan. So I want to hear what worked really, really well and then where you started to run into challenges and kind of what those looked like. Totally. So I think the uh, ability to control the supply and then deploy the supply without being limited by the docking station is a huge part, right? So all of a sudden, we, we can provide reliable service to the users in any cities without kind of uh, spending huge capital building all this infrastructure or a docking station. So that's that's huge because uh, the supply matters. If you can only deploy uh, 100 scooters due to the slow deployment of the docking station, right? So nobody would use it because it's not reliable. But now if we can have 1,000 in San Francisco, 10,000 in New York, right? So uh, hopefully in New York. And then we um, people start to think about Lime when they are going out Finding somewhere, finding going somewhere too short to drive and then too long to walk. Of course, the flip side of that is that there's this physical object sitting on the street, right? So, you know, one thing that we take very measured approach is that we're not just focusing on the riders, but also the non-riders, because our service and system is part of the entire city, right? So, how do we create a harmony? Right between the riders and the non-riders for our operation is uh, is important, and I do believe that working with city is important, right? So understanding the city's priority, the challenges that they have, the limitation of the current bike lane infrastructure, and then how can we develop our approach um, at, at the pace of the city's speed yep. is also important, right? Yep. Because we're here for the long term and we want to, you know, be a good partner uh, for them. So walk us through a little bit of that. There's been so much discussion around regulation and safety in the mobility space. And I would just love your take on how the industry is partnered with regulators and what areas you see for improvement. And kind of part of that is how has Lime thought about safety, yep. knowing I have little kids and I walk out and people are whizzing by on scooters and bikes. Yep. And I love that for the environment, but also get very nervous sometimes that you know our kid's going to get sideswiped. So how do you guys think about that, knowing that you also have to think about that at scale? Yeah, totally. Safety always comes first. Uh, we say that and we do that. And also, I mean, I have two kids, right? So as a father of two, I have a six-year-old son and then one-year-old daughter. I want them to be the customer of the scooters, micro-mobilities, not sit, sit in the car for all day, right? So, but, you know, first thing first, we need to make that safe for the rider 
and also safe for the non-rider. So a couple of things we do for the rider side. So first of all, we find out the uh, first time rider is likely to, you know, make some kind of wrong decisions and then not being able to ride the scooter properly, right? So that could potentially result in a lot of safety problem. Um, so what we did is develop a program called uh, First Ride uh, Academy across the globe, where we invited a lot of you know first-time riders, teach them how to ride it, give them free helmets, and then give them like you know five to ten minutes of uh, tutorial to let them ride in a safe environment. And normally after the first ride, people know how to ride it safer and the second and third time, right? And then for the non-riders, we also do a lot of things by using technology data to help protect, uh, protect them. For example, in the uh, super crowded, uh, you know, walking area, right? So in many cities, we developed a slow speed zone where the riders ride the scooters into that area and then the vehicles automatically slow down. So, um, and that help protect, kind of uh, remind the, the riders, hey, this is the area you need to be cautious and uh, also kind of physically protect the, the riders as well, yeah. So let's talk through as you were scaling city by city. Yep. And let's say in those first early 24 months, what were the biggest challenges you had to think through? Outside of we get it, macro safety, regulatory, that is no small undertaking. What were just some of the things that went wrong that were really hard for you and gave you sleepless nights? Yeah, there, there are a lot of things, right? So regulation, I still want to mention, um, it's you know probably one of the biggest things um, for, for us to conquer at the beginning, right? So it's not about, because I mean, for the tech industry, especially for mobility, we've seen a lot of disruption, a lot of kind of go in first and then ask for forgiveness. I think it's not no longer working or at least not working for our industry. And we believe this is something that the cities need, right? Not just the riders, non-riders need, but also the cities need because it will take, you know, years and decades for them to build, you know, more subways, bus stations, and then public transportation uh, system, right? So before this system uh, that we're providing dockless is so easy, so seamless, and how do we convince them, right? So, of course, educating them is number one thing, right? So understanding their needs and then customize our program. And then two, I think one thing that we feel very proud of is the equity part of the program. About one third of our riders, uh, you know, reported that they have less than 50000 or below income, wow. um, which means, you know, a lot of people cannot afford a rideshare product on a daily basis. They cannot afford sometimes running late, you know, for their kind of hourly work, you know, by waiting for 30 minutes on the bus station. Yep. So the dockless bike sharing and scooter sharing, you know, allow them to pay for like 2 to $3 um, and then go to their destination faster and more affordable. And uh, that give back the time to them and then save them a lot of money. I think being able to tell the benefits, not just from the city infrastructure and help the cities to kind of accelerate all this building blocks of their kind of uh, transportation goals, but also tell them what are the broader impact that we're bringing to the cities are important. So I think that's the most challenging thing at the beginning, and uh, that makes me, uh, you know, awake many days and night. Yeah. And with that, we'll be right back after this. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. 
From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. One of my questions was, how often does the following scenario happen where um, somebody's ready to go, you know, try to go get a lime and two people are at the same place trying to take the same one or, you know, scooters being stolen. Give us a sense of just like some of those, you know, obvious problems that yep. could arise. Um, how much how much headache did that cause? Yeah, actually, to my surprise and maybe to many people's surprise, vandalism is actually not a big thing. Um, really? Yeah. So uh, it's relatively high at the beginning when it, it's a novelty uh, thing, right? So people first find out about it, find, you know, it's very interesting what that is and then want to give it a try and then sometimes want to do something weird to the product put it on the tree, things like that, right? So, but <laughs> after about months or two... And, Scooter on a tree, it's a good visual. <laughs> yeah, so uh, after about a month or two, right, so when people see that more as uh, part of their daily life routine, right, so they start to just use the product instead of making fun of the product, right? So that's one. And then two, I think we believe in good behavior and good modeling uh, resulting in good followership, right? So a lot of people actually follow our kind of way of staging the scooters and bikes um, you know, one next to each other in that very organized manner. If people start to see that every morning at 7 a.m., it's always like that. People start to do that, right? So even for cars, right? So, I mean, there's no docking station. There's no kind of physical objects to align the car properly, but people know how to, how to park it. So I think it takes time. And then also, I think the industry is going through a period from kind of a scooter or bike scarcity to um, abundance, right? So at the beginning, it's hard to find a scooter and people, everybody in town, download the app, want to, you know, use those like limited amount of scooters. Sometimes, you know, we only have a few hundreds and then we have tens of thousands of people looking for scooters. So, um, and then after we, you know, show the data with the city and then continue to work through all these challenges and then ask for more allocation on supply, we start to close that gap. So normally I think the vandalism, the short of supply doesn't last for long, but it was kind of the uh, headache at the beginning. At the beginning. Yeah. Actually, one of the things I just, I want to transition to your future view on mobility, being somebody who truly is at the helm and like, I honestly could spend like five hours with you just, you know, sitting still over coffee and being like, tell me everything that you think is going to happen. But I, I would love just to get a sense of like, in 10 years from today, Mm-hmm. What do you think mobility in America is going to look like in 10 years? And it's, just give us as many thoughts, details, specifics as you can. Yeah, um, this is a very good question. I, this is also the question my investor asked me, right? So I asked myself, a lot of employees ask me because they want to know, are we working on you know, something that's leading us to the future? I can't fully predict what's going to happen in the future, but I can tell you what I hope the future will be and then I know what will not be there, right? So... I think we need to build the city, especially the cities uh, in the U.S., around people, not just around cars, right? So if you look at the infrastructure we have now, there are three, four car lanes taking the 100% of the current road. And in even New York, right, so where so many bikers and then city bikes has been around for such a long time, still bicycling is not that much, right? So uh, how do we transform ourselves or our infrastructure, urban planning from 
kind of car-centric to people-centric, right? So really think about what makes the most sense for people to get, get around. It's important. I know what's not going to happen, right? So in the future, I think you can't really build, you know, more bus station in front of everybody's home, right? So you can't really scale the public transportation to everybody's needs. And then you can't really throw more kind of car lanes, like uh, freeways into the city because it's only getting the situation worse. Then uh, what will happen? So I think there are three things that, that could happen. Yep. One, I think autonomous driving is going to happen. I'm a big believer of, the, uh, of that, which means the uh, the car will not go away, right? So, but the efficiency of using the car will be optimized, right? So one car, instead of sitting there for most of the day and then being utilized for maybe 5% of the time, now, well, five or 10 years later, with autonomous driving, maybe 80% of the time will be utilized, right? So it covers longer distance. And then two, micro-mobility will be part of the solution. So now, if you look at the uh, overall transportation mix, on bike or the non-car uh, vehicles is single digit. And for bike, I think it's less than 1%, right? So can we make that 10% or 20% of the overall transportation mix? And it happened in some of the countries uh, in Europe, right? So like Amsterdam, Copenhagen, they have significant higher kind of percentage on bike usage. I think in Copenhagen, 50% of the traffic now is on bike, right? So if you look at 20 years ago, it was not the case for them, right? So, and I, I do believe it's achievable. I think having more supply of bikes and scooters will start to have people to shift their mind to think about, hey, can I walk? If no, it's too far away, right? So can I drive? No, it's probably hard to find the parking or it's too congested. Then can we scooter or uh, bike, right? So, and then the third thing I think will be electric, right? So I believe all vehicles in the future will be electric. That's one physics-wise, right? So that's the way that we can sustain longer. And then two is more uh, efficient, right? So of course, you know, the biggest challenge is infrastructure and then how do we get so many devices out there for electric vehicle? And think, you know, for Lime, we're, we're doing something to contribute to that movement. All of our fleet now, are electric. And uh, the number of fleet that we're managing is more than the entire fleet that DHL, FedEx operate, right? So wow. the long or uh, trucks, right? So that they are operating on their platform. And we we did that within three years. And then for many of those respectful companies, it took them dozens of years or over 100 years, right? So I think we're at the era that by using technology and then the new kind of uh, form factor, we're able to accelerate that kind of electrified vehicle movement. If you fast forward and have to tell me what you think a road looks like, the literal road, yep. and just take Manhattan since we're sitting in Manhattan, <laughs> what would it look like in Five years, 15 years. years? 15 years, I like that. I would envision, and hopefully I'm right, half of the space that we're using for cars are occupied by higher efficiency vehicles, let's say electric vehicles, let's say um, you know uh, bikes or scooters, which take less space, right? And then you fit more people, and it creates a safer environment. And then the other thing is, I think it will be less. There will be potentially less potholes because uh, you don't have more uh, that many cars driving on the road, right? So, and of course, the damage 3,000-pound vehicles are posing to the uh, roads are getting less and less, right? So we're not creating more potholes in, in Manhattan uh, with more 
bikes and scooters. So uh, I'm optimistic on that front. I love it. I think it's awesome. Yep. Um, so let's quickly shift gears. So uh, you've raised $777 million in financing. Just give us your quick overview of kind of how you thought about fundraising and any key moments that you felt really mattered through your own experience. Totally. I, I feel very privileged to to get a chance to work with so many, you know, world-class partners, investors, right? So, and to be honest, I think, you know, the team made that happen and primarily on two fronts. One, hyper growth, right? So I think... If you look at the uh, speed of adoption on the user side and uh, just the overall trip growth, it's amazing. We grow by 10x uh, versus last year. And then if you compare our growth rate with some of the other Russia companies, we're 2 to 3x faster than like Uber, Lyft, you know, at a similar time. And uh, that's on growth, so definitely very exciting. I think in the past 70 years, we for the first time see something that's growing that fast. And then the other thing is also about the uh, sustainability of the product. When I say that, it's, a, it's more about profitability, you know, the uh, unit economics. We're profitable in many, many markets now, So which is also rare when the early stage investors are looking at our financials and uh, we're able to not just grow fast, but also manage to uh, break even and make money in many markets. So I want to shift gears here to a little bit more about you. Um, but before I do, I just want to quickly say it is so incredible to think about the fact that you essentially came from China where you saw incredibly massive cities um, have to become more efficient to protect the planet, also to literally function. You brought that mobility to uh, the United States and have grown such an incredible company. That is such a rare thing to do. We talked to tons of incredible entrepreneurs every day, but just truly you're at the top decile of mission, incredible productivity very quickly, epic amounts of fundraising. And it's just really fun to meet you because you light up in person um, when you talk about all of this. Let's just quickly talk about what drives you as an entrepreneur, what gets you out of bed every day, and what makes this so fun for you? Yeah. Um, thanks for asking that because that's truly my motivation of doing this, right? So I consider myself a truly passionate person on making something long-lasting positive impact for all, right? And it all starts from my early career and then my childhood, right? So everything I, I see, you know, when I grew up in China, right? So when little policy was made into my city, it impacts tens of millions of people. And when innovation happens, right? So tens of millions of people in the real life, not just online, were impacted. So, and also part of my early career as a marketing and product manager at Pepsi, right? So I launched Gatorade in China and uh, helped the brand to become a, a, you know, market leader in 11 months. So, which was, you know, very rewarding. And we were able to make the brand and the product, not just for the athletes, right? So, or the people who are exercising every day, but for everybody, right? So I, I love that kind of fulfillment and that power. And then on the other hand, I think, you know, uh, as a VC before, I also had the privilege and then the fortune to work with so many, you know, inspirational founders that also light up my passion as well, right? So talking with them about their, you know, ideas, passions, and then enable them to do more with the capital, with my experience. And now, you know, I've been able to make that happen with my own hands and uh, my own vision, I think is even more rewarding, yeah. When you think about the fact that your company has enabled over 50 million trips around the world, yep. what was the pinch me moment for you? Well, 
that means we're really touching, <laughs> you know, many, many people every day and then millions of people every week, right? So, but I think the most important thing that I find, you know, fascinating is really the impact that we make, right? So uh, many people report that they're really using Lime to replace the car. One out of every four trips that people are doing on Lime is to replace a car chip, right? So that means, you know, whenever you see four limes, that means there's one car chip uh, that's disappearing. And it helps us to save, you know, almost 10,000 uh, metric tons of uh, carbon emission. And uh, that means, you know, um, we're, we're creating something that's kind of on the positive trajectory to help the city to be greener, more livable. So that's the uh, pinch moment for me because I think, you know, if we're thinking about the cities around us, right, so uh, we see positive changes because of those 100 million rides and maybe in the future a billion rides, yeah. As a leader, um, what do you think has been the most important growth moment or the thing that you really had to get good at to be able to help Lime grow? Yeah, totally. I think um, for for Lime, if you look at our operation, it's global almost in year one or early year two, right? So, and uh, we have 700 people and we hired, you know, hundreds of people this year. And uh, uh, we're going to continue to hire more people and then uh, to support the growth of the company. So how do we create a cohesive and then kind of a really good culture and value to bound people together? Because unlike many technology companies, the nature of our business is very distributed, right? So we have uh, employees in over 100 locations, right? So how do we make sure those people are working towards the same vision and then the same goal. So I think the value, the communication across the um, you know, organization is important. We just had a session among the leadership about radical candor, right? So I think being you know, brutal on the uh, transparency to create the trust across the uh, organization is super important, especially important for our distributed kind of organization. And then last quick question, if there's one other cool startup that's early uh-huh. that we should know about or that's on your radar that you were really impressed with in the last few months, knowing that you get to see a lot of great companies, does anything specific come to mind? Yeah. So uh, as you know, I'm now, you know, um, helping the company with innovation. And also we have a great BD team to look at a lot of partnership, new companies. One company I would like to mention is called the N26. So it's the fastest growing bank in Europe. And they believe in transparency and flexibility in terms of, you know, providing the banking service to all, right? So it represents inclusion and it's very aligned with our uh, mission, right? So as we are expanding globally, you know, using our scooters to provide a service to users is one way. And also looking for great partners is another way. So we had a partnership starting from um, September, and it will last until December the 5th for, um, you know, anybody who is using N26 can get a 50% discount for their Lime Ride. So uh, I think uh, finding the vision, kind of mission-alike company, and that also has that great coverage in terms of the users is something that we're looking for, and that company is amazing. So we feel very thrilled to work with them. That's awesome. Well, again, Toby, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody that's listening, if, if you want to learn more about Lime, simply download the Lime app and join us next week for Inc. The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. And Toby, thank you so much for what you're doing for our planet. We are so honored to have you as a guest today. Thank you so much. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> thank you. Thank you all for listening. You can subscribe to Inc. The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel wherever your podcasts are offered.